0: Welcome to The Great Trials Podcast, where you get a behind-the-scenes look at America's greatest trials with the trial lawyers who tried them.
1: My associate who did the intake came in and showed me the picture and said, this is the worst wound case I've ever seen. Please rise. part is now in session.
0: All right. Well, welcome to The Great Trials Podcast. This is Steve Lowry along with Yvonne Godfrey. Uh, Yvonne, how is everybody doing in your world? <laughs>
2: <laughs> pretty good it's just it's just me and my my world way too much of just me
0: <laughs> right 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 but I did notice you got a nice lampshade that you've now got on camera by, behind you which uh, adds yeah. a color so yeah that's nice. yeah a nice. little bit
2: of color um I'm I'm moving in like two weeks but um I'll keep that's, this to the bitter end <laughs>
0: that's right I forgot that you're moving yeah, yeah. You get, you're you're moving closer to uh to our office so that I be, know
2: uh, I know I haven't started packing yet so
0: Yeah. Well, I'm I'm sure that'll be a lot of fun.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) exactly. (laughs) Um, All right. Well, let's uh, let's go ahead and get started with our show uh, and introduce Richard Mitchell. Uh, We are really excited to have Richard on today. Richard is a uh, partner with the firm of Mitchell and Shapiro. And you can look up Richard at uh, Mitchell Shapiro dot com. That's M.I.T.C.H.E.L.L shapiro dot Mitchell Shapiro, uh, Richard, how are you doing today? Doing great, guys. I appreciate you having me. No, we we, we uh, appreciate you coming on, and I, I, we'll talk more about this case in a second. But I think this is the first, unless I'm wrong, Yvonne, I, I can't remember any other, uh, you know, long term care facility, nursing home type facility cases that we've talked about yet on the podcast.
2: I so think I, this. Is, I think this is the first, and I'm really excited to talk about it because depending on your own medical history or your family's medical history this might be something that you don't know anything about i did yeah. not know anything about this until i started practicing law um i did not know anything about this area of medicine so i'm I'm really excited to talk about it today
0: yeah yeah and and you know seeing it from the side that we do and that from richard sees uh sees it uh, it can definitely uh seem scary at times because some of the care that uh, the patients get including what happened in this case uh, just doesn't seem very good for, especially your loved ones who are getting up there in years.
2: Absolutely. It's, it's scary.
0: Well, um, Richard, I want to give a little bit about your background. Um, first of all, I'll point out that Richard, uh, went to a, a pretty good undergrad and a pretty good law school, uh, university of Virginia, and then, a, and then a law school named Stanford. I've heard of that. They're pretty good. Um, and then, uh, and clerked for not one federal judge, but two federal judges, uh, afterwards. And, um, that's just because
1: the first one died while I was cleaning. Oh,
0: no. <laughs> well, I didn't even—I didn't even think. That. I just thought you were that good, Richard. Where, <laughs> where are you going to go with that? <laughs> well, um, and uh, and I, I should mention, Richard has uh, uh, been practicing uh, law for a number of years. He started out with a with a well-known uh, defense law firm and practiced with them for a long time, and then uh, opened his uh, plaintiffs practice. Uh, uh, back in 1997 and has just been getting tremendous results for his clients. Uh, he's an AV rated lawyer, uh, been named to Georgia trends, uh, Georgia trend magazines, legal elite in, uh, 2003 and 2014, been a super lawyer every year since 2003. Uh, and, um, has tried uh, over 100 cases and had a number of them in the top 10 verdicts in medical malpractice and is a uh, adjunct professor, professor, if I can say that right, <laughs> professor at uh, Georgia State Law School. So, uh, so thank you so much for coming on, Richard.
1: That's great, uh, it's an honor actually, uh, considering all the uh, friends of mine and colleagues that you've had on before me, uh, it's a very impressive group. So I'm, I'm proud to be included.
0: Well, we really enjoy everybody who comes on and everybody's got their own unique perspective on how to try cases. And that's what uh, that's what we we just love to hear about. Absolutely. Um, well, the case that we're talking about today is uh, is I'm just going to call it the Dixon versus Landmark Hospital of Athens, LLC. Uh, Case it was tried in Gwinnett County last year in September of 2019. Uh, Your client was Elizabeth Dixon. Uh, Wait, is it Dixon or Dickinson? I I, I screwed it up. I screwed it up. It's Elizabeth Dickinson. (laughs) I got it right now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's it's, so Elizabeth Dickinson. Um, Back in 2015, in February of 2015, Elizabeth was involved in a in a uh, car wreck uh, that sounded like a pretty serious car wreck where she had a colon laceration, ankle fracture. She went into respiratory failure. And a number of other orthopedic issues, and because of that, had to be put on a ventilator. Um, while she was at Grady Hospital in Atlanta, um, uh, she they weren't able to wean her from the ventilator, and she started to develop to develop a uh, sacral wound, a sacral ulcer, stage two, which is uh, fairly superficial. Um, and she was discharged to uh, Landmark Hospital of Athens for. Uh, basically to wean her off the ventilator and take care of some other issues. Uh, And she was sent over there on March 4th, 2015. And uh, when she got there, they didn't, uh, or it it sounded like some people noted that there was a sacral ulcer. Some people didn't note it. Uh, And then only one person I saw actually noted it as being a stage two. Others didn't uh, stage it at all. And, And for anybody who doesn't know, there's four stages to pressure ulcers, pressure wounds like this. Uh, the higher the stage, the worse it is the the stage four is when it goes through the all the tissue deep tissue and and um, and gets uh, extremely painful and extremely serious. And essentially what happened in this case is that the, the main way you stop pressure ulcers from occurring is by turning the patient while they're in bed. Uh, and there was orders to turn her every two hours. Uh, and from what I saw from your the charts you showed the jury, Richard, there was uh, long periods of time where they weren't turning at all. One that was uh, 29 hours, one that was 16 hours, one that was 20 hours where they weren't turning or at least not noting that they were turning her and so her her stage 2 uh, ulcer went pretty rapidly up to a stage 4 uh, and it was actually on uh, uh, I guess both sides of her buttocks and then grew into one large um, uh, pressure ulcer and just a, just a terrible uh, painful wound um, and ulcer that she had to deal with um, and that was essentially the the injuries that happened to her, and she was essentially sent back uh, eventually sent back to Grady, where she ended up uh, you know healing as, as best she could um, but uh, still had a a lot of lifelong pain and, and suffering that went from dealing with this um, this pressure wound
1: yeah that that's pretty accurate and and you know the the stage four wounds are wounds that go down to the to the bone and yeah. Um, your listeners can't see the picture, but you guys saw it uh, yeah. with the wound. I mean, it's a golf ball-sized hole on, yes. on her back all the way down to her spinal column. So yeah, it was pretty horrific.
0: It, it, I mean, it's, when you see wounds like this, it, it's hard to, you know, uh, I mean, you really, it, it's hard to describe them. The best way is to see them, but it's just to imagine what somebody is going through to have that type of wound and what type of pain uh, they have to be going through. Yeah. Um, I, I should say that the verdict resulted in a, a $1.3 million verdict uh on behalf of your client. Um, and I I wanted to start off the discussion since this is the first uh, you know, real case that we're talking about doing long-term acute care or, or nursing home type work, um, is maybe just talking generally about doing doing nursing home cases and some of the uh the issues that come up or some of the, the things you spot with with those types of cases and some of the difficulties. Of uh, of handling handling those cases, um, so that's where we'll start off, Richard.
1: Sure. Well, there there is a difference, and actually a pretty significant difference between a long term acute care hospital or an LTAC, which is what this was, and a nursing home. Um, and that actually um, made it a better case for us because they they have much higher standards and are uh, uh, you know supposed to do a lot more things than than. A quote-unquote just regular nursing home. Um, we, we see a lot of of these beds or cases in nursing homes where the folks don't get turned, um, but the and and that's a violation of the standard of care in those situations as well. But it's even worse if that can be the right term uh, in a in a more sophisticated supposedly facility like this one. Uh, where the nurses are supposed to they actually are nurses as opposed to just folks uh who they have off the street to turn the folks and uh right uh, and they have uh you know medical doctors on the on the premises and that kind of thing so um, uh but in this particular facility uh held itself out on their website as being specialists in wound care uh, which we em- obviously emphasized greatly during the course of the trial um you know, we we pointed out she got sent there to be weaned off a ventilator, which is the other thing that they they uh pride themselves on and post on their website as being one of their specialties and that and wound care and, and she didn't get weaned off the ventilator while she was there for two months and and she ended up getting this horrific wound while she was there.
0: Yeah, I, I saw that I, I thought, you know, one thing that we'll talk about more as we go, I, I thought she did a really nice job of, of you know going through each one of their defenses and making that part of your case, uh, and, and sort of develop this theme of, you know, you got to ask yourself why. Um, and then, um, but, but one of the things I thought that you did just a great job on, uh, was pointing out that we, one of their defenses is basically saying, well, she, you know, was in such bad health. Um, I wrote down, they, you know, cause they made a part of their case that she was, uh, she was considered obese. She was hypertensive. She was diabetic, uh, had, uh, had. A past history of gout and hypothyroidism and then um i think she actually had a heart attack while she was in the facility two uh, two heart attacks okay and um and you know and they were claiming that that was the reason why they they uh it, it was a it was a weird defense because they were saying they did turn her they just didn't write it down but uh they couldn't turn her because of her heart problems right uh, which you know, kinda gets you into some problems from the defense side. But but that they, they pointed out all these problems and then made it sound like this was gonna happen no matter what. And then you did a great job of coming back and saying, Well, you know, th- this is what you guys hold yourself out as I mean this is this is your business. This is what your expertise expertise and specialty is.
1: Right. I mean they their their defense, primary defense. At least throughout the litigation leading up to the trial was was that this was inevitable, and that she came into the hospital from Grady with this wound. Um, and yet um, she was at Grady for I think seventeen days. She was much sicker while she was at Grady. She had this uh, surgery on her colon, you know where she ended up with a colostomy. So obviously she was on her back a good bit as a result of that. And yet, while she was there, the only wound that was noted was a stage two, which is a superficial wound. And then she gets to Landmark on the day she's transferred from Grady. Um, and <laughs> five people, five different medical professionals saw her the, the first 24 hours. The first was the doctor, uh, the med- uh, not the medical director, but the doctor that was on call at the hospital at the time. She noted a sacral wound, but didn't stage it. They, the, chief nurse who by the time we tried the case was actually the CEO of the facility and was the corporate rep at trial did the mandatory nursing assessment um, that was required by their own protocols she didn't note anything um, and and then two of the floor nurses uh, said that she was, she had a stage two at 8 p.m and 8 a.m the next day and then the wound care nurse came in late that second afternoon and by that point was already well on the way, uh, to being a stage three, almost stage four at that point.
2: With this issue of them, um, of one of their defenses, at least being that she came in from bad shape. Um, she came in in bad shape because from Grady, um, I'm interested what they tried to do in terms of, um, it sounded like based on your closing or, or, maybe it was your slides that I saw that they were sort of blaming Grady, but that they didn't really bring anybody um, in to, to say that. And I'm wondering both what they did with Grady and what you did in response to that. And then also whether they tried to apportion fault against Grady.
1: I did not try to apportion fault. And and we made a big point out of that because they were saying she came in with this from Grady. We argued that, you know, she came in with a superficial wound from Grady after, as I said, after 17 days of being sicker than she was when she got there. Um, and they, um, I lost my train of thought.
2: there. So what'd they do at, so at trial, did they, how, how far did they try to go with that if they weren't trying to apportion?
1: They, they were more arguing that it was just inevitable because how sick she was when she got there from Grady. Um, and, and that opened up the door for us to make the argument that I just was talking about. I see. That she wasn't as sick at Landmark, and yet it got much worse. Um, they I mean, and there really were only two uh, record entries in the Grady records about her having, even having a stage two. And they were eight or ten days apart. So it was probably a superficial stage two, even, uh, that she came in with. Um, gotcha.
0: Yeah. You know, one thing I, I was uh, when I was reading the pretrial order, you know, I read I read your summary where it described that, you know, she, she gets seen by all these people. <clears throat> Nobody really stages. I think one person staged it as a stage two uh, sacral uh, wound and um, and that, you know, didn't get seen by a um, a wound care nurse. But then when, when you read the defense's. Pre-trial. I mean, they make it sound like no, she went, she got there and she uh, did get seen by a wound care nurse, got photographed. And I guess uh, I guess their point is that they're say they're saying that she was seen within 24 hours, which they were trying to say uh, somehow met their their duty on that, because um, it, it definitely when I read what they said, I'm like, well, they're they're definitely taking a different uh, tactic there um, right. or a different set of facts.
1: The wound care nurse did see her. I think it was 22 hours in. OK. Um, and what we argued there, and their their protocol, internal protocol, was that she had to be seen by a wound care nurse, I think, within the first three days. But we got them to, I think, the, the medical director on his uh, deposition to say that's if somebody doesn't have a wound when they come in. Uh, if somebody comes in with one, they have to be seen sooner. And that, our expert said that as well. Uh, and, and so we had these four people saying one way or another she had some kind of wound. Uh, and yet she, she didn't get seen and in and, and meantime wasn't being turned either.
2: Right. Which makes sense. I mean, for the, for any of our listeners who don't know that, you know, it's really important that you act quickly and that you not let it advance to these more advanced stages because it just gets harder and harder to heal. And I think if you don't, Obviously, these providers know that. But if you don't have that background, then you don't understand how crucial it is what they do as soon as she's there, and how crucial the timing is of of each and every one of these turns that they were supposed to do.
1: Right. And and the other thing, you know, all the comorbidities that Steve went through that she had made her much more susceptible to getting a wound, a and, and quickly b, um, which they and and all those things were listed on their on their plan of care when she got to Landmark. Um, interestingly, the one thing that wasn't listed when she got the landmark, there were 23 items listed and one, there was no listing for anything about a a sacral wound uh, or any kind of wound. Um, but we, that, that allowed us to argue that, you know, again, she should have been seen much, much quicker, uh, because of all her comorbidities and, and how sick she was. And they they were pounding on how sick she was. And we said, yeah, okay, she was sick. And that's why you should have seen her and turned her.
2: Right. That's why she needs this level of care. I mean, there's this tension between saying, oh, she's so sick, she's in such bad shape. And it's like, okay, well, that's exactly why she needs the level of care that you're supposed to be giving her.
1: Right. And we, we, I think I said in my closing that there's no sign on the front of the hospital that says if you're too sick
2: for right. to us right. to
1: turn, you can yeah. come in. You know, they, they, if the opposite was true. They had it on their website that they specialize in this, in wound care.
0: Yeah, I, I that you know going back to you know some of the positions they were taking I mean cause, so they had this one defense where they basically tried to make it sound like well this wound was already occurring already happening while she was at Grady but I mean how do they how did they balance that with the five people that saw her you know all professionals that saw her and didn't stage it as being some didn't stay didn't some did note it some didn't stage it and then even the one that did stage, it didn't stage it as anything serious. And then it seemed like they had this one expert uh, that they had, that this uh, particular um, uh, defense defense lawyers had used multiple times, uh, who basically he was the guy who came in and said, um, no, you, you know, this was already developing while she was at Grady. This was, you know, bad by the time she got there and there's nothing they could do. Something along those lines.
1: Right. I mean, he, the pictures that we had of the wound at the time were Polaroids that the wound care nurse took when she saw her that were photocopied in the copies in the medical records. And their expert looked at that and said, Oh, this has clearly been there for (laughs) many days. And it was obviously uh, something that she, she came in with Um, their, their defenses were all over the place and they, uh, they were scrambling. Right. right,
0: right, right. Because, you know, the, I mean, going back to this, you know, and we we run into this a lot um, with the medical records is that, you know, they're supposed to note every time that they turn her. Uh, and, you know, they, it wasn't noted. Or and then I, I read where you were talking about sometimes they noted it as being a turn bed. And that, that might have meant she was either with a doctor or refused, uh, you know, allegedly refused to be turned. Um, but they, they weren't noting it. But so they were basically you know, trying to say, well, we were turning her. Um, you know, we just didn't write it down, um, but it was going to happen anyways. So it really didn't matter that we were turning her. Kind
1: of yeah, thing. it was all of that. Uh, it was interesting because the their medical, uh, electronic medical record system was was devised by the medical director of the hospital. And he was very proud of it. And it has a pull-down menu for turns where you can input L for left, R for right, B for back, or other, or turn, uh, uh, turn bed as they as they did. Uh, and so they, they were saying on one hand, this was a new system, the nurses didn't know how to use it. And so they didn't know how to input it properly, but they were doing it. Uh, and then on the other hand, they were saying, uh, for instance, where it said turn bed, uh, she was on what what's called a floating mattress, uh, uh, which they use to assist in preventing these things. But everybody, including their experts, said it's not standard of care to just rely on that. It's you know an undulating kind of thing that takes rotates the pressure a little bit, but it's not the same as turning. Um, and there were numerous entries in the in the turn log at the beginning of the uh, care where it said turn bed. And it was clear to us that they were just relying on the turn bed because they didn't want to turn her because she was obese and, and for whatever reason. Um, and they tried to argue that turn bed or other, which they put a few times meant that either she was refusing to be turned, and then we would point out other places in the record much later on where she actually did refuse to turn and it was noted as such, uh, or that that meant she was out of the bed and you know, being seen by a specialist, and we showed that you know most of those entries were in the middle of the night, like two in the morning, so she wasn't seeing anybody, she wasn't out of bed. And, and they had entries later on where she actually was seeing doctors that were, were noted that way. So their you know our argument, one of our arguments, was for them to be right in terms of their defense, their records have to be wrong, and all their medical personnel have to be wrong. who who saw the wound when it came in and it was just a stage two Um, and, and and those were some of the gifts that they gave us
0: all right Yvonne this next company that we're talking about is literally a company that has been with our firm since the beginning and I don't think we could survive with because every time we go to trial we always have Bob or Liz or one of their other technicians who is helping us do our trial presentations and I'm talking of course about legal technology services and you can find them at ltsatlanta.com
2: Yes, they do all things visual. That's their big tagline. And it's definitely true. They have saved our bacon so many times and can help you out with so many more things uh, that you might even, you know, not even think about. I mean, they can help you with demonstratives for trial. They can help you with video depositions, day in the life videos. Stuff for your website?
0: Settlement videos, witness statements. I mean, literally it is anything technology-based or as Yvonne already said, all things visual. They are huge at helping with the demonstratives that we put in front of the jury. They are friends of the firm and have just done tremendous work for us over the years. So pick up the phone or get on the computer and look up Bob, Melanie, or Liz at LTSAtlanta.com. And you can also call them at 770 770 554 1633 that's legal technology services at ltsatlanta.com
2: and steve don't forget we have a gift for our listeners
0: oh yeah i totally told you to remind me and i totally (laughs) screwed it up so yeah, so what I forgot to tell our listeners is that um if you mention the Great Trials podcast when you call into Legal Technology Services or write into them, uh they will give you 10% off of your first job. So mention the podcast, Great Trials podcast, and uh they will give you 10% off of your first job. And again, that is ltsatlanta.com, Legal Technology Services, uh, give them a try. So one thing I wanted to ask you about, because you you noted in your closing, was that, you know, this this whole issue of whether or not she was refusing to be turned. It it sounded like in the opening statement, the defense had claimed that they had evidence that the daughter had locked herself in her mom's room and wasn't letting anybody in. And then that just sort of it it sounded like it didn't go anywhere for the defense. But I'm just wondering, what, what was that all about?
1: Well, they didn't like the daughter. Um, and she was our client representative at the trial. Mrs. Dickinson lived in, uh, lives in Rochester, New York, or did at the time, and couldn't travel because of the wound. Um, She was, you know, the doctor told her you can't be in a car for that long, et cetera, et cetera. And her husband, uh, who was alive when we began the case, um, and who we thought had a really good um, loss of consortium claim, because he had uh, obstructive pulmonary disease and was on oxygen, and she was taking care of him, and she couldn't do that when this, after this happened. Um, but he passed away about a year before trial, and so we had to have a a somebody sitting with us besides the lawyers at, at the table. So we got the daughter, who was the one who hired us and it was really our our, our interface anyway, uh, appointed as representative of his estate. To be with us, uh, you know, on behalf of the consortium claim, so to speak, and she she's a very strong person, but they didn't like her because she was always in their face about the care <laughs> that, that right. her mom wasn't getting. Uh, and interestingly, you know, we mediated the case maybe a few months before the trial, and one of the things the defense lawyer told me when the mediation failed, when they offered his bupkis, uh was that the jury's going to hate. Her and you know, she's not gonna play well. So we get to trial, and for the first time ever, we hear this in the opening statement um that Sharon the daughter barricaded herself in, in the doorway and wouldn't let them in. And they gave a specific date, March sixth, two days after she got there, and and et cetera. Uh and and then they never presented any evidence of that occurring. It's not in the record. Nobody ever testified to that. Right. <laughs> Um, And and they tried several other ways to sort of assassinate her character. Um, They they pulled out one page from the Grady record from before she got to Landmark where it says daughter had a dispute with one of the nurses and they asked Sharon about it. She said, well, that wasn't me, that was my sister. So that didn't work. And then uh, after she left Grady the second time after she had gone back and gotten debrided and, and they'd done the graft and all that, she went to another rehab facility uh, called Glancy, and there was a note in that record where Sharon had had a little dispute with the uh, one of the nurses there because of her experience at Landmark. She was pushy, quote unquote, uh, and the nurse got in her face, said, "This is my job. You know, don't tell me how to do it." And, and Sharon apologized and said, "I'm sorry. I overstepped my bounds." And she explained all that on the witness stand. So they you know, they were going on and on about Sharon, who. You know, A, it wasn't her injury, and B, she wasn't getting in the money that the verdict would, would bring anyway. Um, they realized about halfway through their own case that that was not flying and it was backfiring. Right. And so then the nurses that they did bring in who had dealt with Sharon started talking about what a great daughter she was. And, <laughs> and you know, so it's just one thing after another. Just, they, they would, Throw something at the wall and it wouldn't stick, and they'd try to flip it 180 degrees and go a different direction.
0: Oh my goodness! I mean, so when you're sitting there during the opening, and and the defense lawyer throws this out there, do you pull your client aside and say, "What the hell is he talking about?" Yeah, she had no idea, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, because it didn't happen,
1: right? right. I, I don't know. I don't know who was supposed to have said that, but nobody ever did. So, um,
0: so, so did I? Did I understand you didn't have uh, uh, Miss Dickinson there at trial at all? Is that right?
1: That's right. She, she, we had a video uh, testimony for her, um, which was you know one of the challenges in the case yeah. uh, to to have them sympathize. But she, both of the Dickinsons, we had his, we took a deposition of him um, before he passed, obviously uh, as well, because we didn't think he was going to make it to trial, one way or the other, either physically or he would he would be gone. Um, and they were just you know, I'm sure, and I know from listening to your podcast, almost everybody that comes on says you you have to have great clients to win a case like this. These folks were amazing. Um, they were in in their late seventies. They had been retired for about 10 or 15 years when they retired, they bought an RV and, uh, as they said, hit the road, but they didn't just go traveling around. They went to, um, Christian camps and churches all over the country to uh, for youth youth camps mainly to he, John uh, Dickinson was was a an engineer type person who so he would you know do build bunk beds or whatever work on the plumbing uh, and Elizabeth would work in the kitchen and or and just talk to the kids and and in fact the the wreck that they had which led to all of this they've been working in a in a facility like this in South Georgia. And were driving up to the Atlanta area to see see their daughter uh, when this wreck occurred that that led to the whole chain of events. So, they were they were just great people, uh, and they didn't really even try to cross them very much on anything. Um, they just you know sort of relied on beating up on on their daughter. <laughs> right. Right.
2: Um, Richard, I'm interested when this case came in, knowing <laughs> that that you know, especially with your experience, knowing that they're going to say. Um, you know, that your client was older, that your client was in poor shape. And I'm, I'm interested, you know, when you're early on in this case, when you're deciding to take the case, what kind of stood out to you in terms of, I mean, obviously you're looking at how this this wound develops, but were you able to, like when you looked at the records, were you able to look at these turn bed, these notations and kind of flag like, hey, something's not right here? Was it more just the nature of the progression of the wound that made you want to take a better look?
1: Well, I mean, the first thing that hits you in the face is the picture of the wound. Um, And I I didn't send them all to you, but we have a a progression from the the first time the wound care nurse saw her to the one that you did see where the big hole was there. Um, And and that happened over a very short period of time. Um, So the damages were clearly there. we could tell from the records without even having an expert that there were gaps in the, in the turns, which, and, and knew from doing other wound uh, cases that that was an issue. So, you know, we got, I had it looked at, but um, I, I was, frankly, I was my biggest concern at the beginning was, is it possible for this to really happen this fast? Yeah. Mm. Uh, and, and because, and that was one of their defenses that their expert raises. You, you can't, go from zero to 60 in a day, so to speak. Um, but our experts assured us that that was in fact, uh, it could happen. And, and interestingly, their wound care nurse who testified said it could happen uh, wow. on the plan. So, um, but, the, but those were the things that jumped at us. I mean, my, my associate who did the intake came in and, and, and showed me the picture and said, this is the worst wound Case I've ever seen. Yeah, it it, it really was.
0: Um, yeah, I, I noticed that you um, you mentioned in your closing that their wound care nurse uh, had said that in uh, you know that it could develop that quickly, and I guess I was wondering, did you have any idea she was going to say that, or is that something that just came up?
1: I didn't know she was going to say it. I knew our experts were going to say right. it, so we could argue it. Right. Um, but but she—that was another of the gifts that they gave us during the course of the trial.
0: Right, right, yeah, exactly, exactly.
1: One, you know, one thing
0: I, I meant to ask you is, you know, in dealing with these, um, uh, I know this isn't a nursing home, but was there any type of an arbitration clause or anything like that that you had to fight about?
1: Uh, not in this one, no. I mean, okay. that is that is an issue with nursing homes in particular. Um, she got, uh, I think, Grady arranged the, the transfer uh, and admission there, and so I, I don't think they were, and and she was unconscious when she got there so she didn't sign anything anyway um i think the daughter may have signed the, the admission forms but but there was not a uh, an arbitration issue we didn't have to deal with that
0: okay yeah because i you know i've had a, a few of these cases and that always uh you know if you've got one you know you're gonna have to fight about that for a while right um what was, so I know she. you said she wasn't uh, well enough to come down to trial and um, so a couple questions there. One, what, what was her condition by the time the trial uh, came around and two, how did you explain that to the jury that she wasn't going to be there?
1: Well, by the time of trial, she had had a graft on the wound, a, a pigskin graft, but there was still a, a hole there um, and, and it had to be treated every day with. Appointment and, and that kind of thing, but but you know, and, and it was painful for her to sit, uh, which was the issue was she couldn't sit to to drive down and she couldn't sit in the courtroom uh, for all day either. Um, we we addressed it in voir dire. Uh, you know, just first question was, you know, neither of them are going to be here. Uh, these are the reasons why. Does anybody have any problem with that? And nobody did. Um, and and. We we covered it in the depositions, their trial depositions as well. You know, uh, explained to the jury why you can't be there, and uh, she said, "I really wish I could be, but I, the doctors told me I can't, I can't travel." And, and that's that was a part of the pain and suffering claim as well. as the fact she couldn't travel to see her grandkids and her great grandkids and that kind of thing, or and she couldn't couldn't ride in a car to do the church work that she did at, at, in Rochester. So um, that was how we covered it.
0: Yeah, I, I was reading, um, you know, in your description of what she, uh, you know, did with her life and the fact that she would like to go on missions and things like that. And I was thinking, you know, just what an amazing uh, person. Um, but to talk a little bit about how you did present uh, the damages in this case. I mean, obviously, you've got this, uh, you know, this wound, this hole that goes all the way down to the spine. So that, that uh, you know, picture is worth a thousand words. Uh, but, but talk a little bit about
1: how you address that. Right. Well, I mean... <laughs> In, in Vaudier, we actually said, is anybody asked if anybody's squeamish? Because these pictures are horrific." And there was one guy who ended up being on the jury who raised his hand. And, and every time we put, I said, "I, I promise, I'm only going to put these up very briefly." And, and, and I actually had an alternative slide that didn't have the picture on it in case they were too upset about it. But uh, and the picture is worth a thousand words. In this case, it was worth a million three. Um (laughs) um, but so I mean you can't look at that and not and not have you know some idea of of how horrible this was. Um and and then just having Elizabeth and John and and their their daughter talk about their lives, you know, uh and and how the non physical pain and suffering parts of it, how that impacted them. Um, uh, and they just did a great job of, of conveying that. Um interestingly, one of the, another one of the defenses that didn't fly, they, they were trying to argue that because she was so smashed up from this wreck and from all the surgeries, uh, you know, she had a broken leg with, with a open reduction in internal fixation. Um, she had this massive um, abdominal surgery. And so they, they tried to argue that there's no way to tell what the pain was from yeah you know, we couldn't we couldn't say it was from the sacral wound versus the leg injury versus the the abdominal surgery <laughs> and we we pulled up their fancy new medical record uh, which had you know pain scores and things on it and locations and there it was you know entry after entry was sacral pain sacral pain sacral pain so you know they they argued that in closing and I got up in my final close and just put the form up they're telling you this isn't from from her sacral wound, but look at all these entries.
0: Yeah. yeah. It always surprises me when, uh, when uh, you know, our uh, friends on the defense side do stuff like that. I, uh, did you get any sense for, you know, did, like that did they just hadn't read the records close enough or thought they could squeak one by? Or?
1: Um, I, I think in that respect, on that point in particular, I don't think they had focused on, <laughs> on the record as much as, as we had.
0: Right. Um, they,
1: they, yeah, I just, I just, that that had to have slipped.
0: Yeah, I just never understand it, and, you know, because I and I tell, uh, you know, our lawyers all the time that we, um, you know, defense lawyers get to make mistakes at trial in the with re, with regard to the facts. You know, they they do it all the time and they still get defense verdicts. Um, you know, plaintiffs lawyers don't get to make mistakes with the facts, right? Because um, they'll hold it against you and you won't you won't win your case, right? Um, so, you know, so it's always, you know, so I, I'm always surprised when when the other side thinks, you know, that they might be able to sneak something by us with regard to the facts. Because, I mean, that's one thing, you know, we sort of pride ourselves on is knowing the record, you know, backwards and forwards and knowing everything in it. Because um, yeah, if you don't, know, you get
1: know, it's killed. A, it's a typical technique that we always see is they, they let loose a bunch of rabbits and try to make you chase them down. Right. And if you miss one... <laughs> then, you know, they'll point to that rabbit and say, well, okay, defense verdict. Right. Um, So we, we have to be ready to whack a (laughs) mole. Right. 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 Exactly.
0: Uh,
2: Related to that. And just knowing the case, you know, you mentioned asking your potential jurors if they were squeamish and I, I am very squeamish. One of the hardest things when I first started practicing was seeing pictures like this and I used to just avoid them. I used to just try not to look at them, not open that folder And, you know, the guys at my firm, you know, just helped explain to me that like, I really owe that to my clients to look at the picture. I mean, this is on my client's body. I owe it to them to be able to look at the picture. And I just, I just started out with them real small, (laughs) (laughs) started with like the thumbnail pictures and just kind of gradually worked my way up to, two. um, but I think that can be hard when you first start practicing, but yeah. you, re- it really is the least you can do for yep. for your clients.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, the, these pictures. I, I've had burn cases where the pictures were worse, but but other than that, this these were the worst pictures I'd ever seen. Yeah, yeah. And and the one I gave you, even though you can see how bad the hole is, doesn't convey. Yeah. Some of the earlier ones look even worse. Uh, before she had the debriefment, that was after the debriefment. What you saw, so.
0: So Yvonne, one thing I've learned in this business is that you can't go get a great trial verdict to be talked about on the great trials podcast, unless you get the case in the first place. And that's why we're talking about digitallawmarketing.com. It's digital law marketing. They are a great company that does website design SEO, social media marketing, content marketing, and everything you need to market your firm online.
2: Yeah. I mean, think about it. The first time that you hear about whether it's a lawyer or a law firm or a business or a doctor, what do people do now? You look them up. You just, you, you Google them. And so your website has to look good. Your content has to be good. And that's what digital law marketing can help you with.
0: Yeah. And they make sure that you can be found, too, because you can have a great looking website, but people type into Google and you don't come up at all. They will help with that as well. And the thing that I really like about digital law marketing is that they don't go out and market for your competitors. So if you get them for your area, they won't go across the street and go advertise for a competitor law firm.
2: They also have such a fantastic team. They, when I made partner at the firm, they sent me flowers, which was so nice and such a personal touch. Um, They do our firm's website and for better or worse, it's very easy to find me in my headshot that I hate (laughs) because they're so good at what they do.
0: Exactly. And, and, you know, the thing. uh, another thing I like about them is they're they're extremely responsive, as you said, like if you ask them to do something, they will get it done that day. And they don't overpromise. They won't tell you things just because they think you want to hear it, which Without mentioning names, I've heard from some other website marketing companies and digital law marketing will not do that.
2: Yes, they're awesome.
0: So call uh, Digital Law Marketing. You can call them at 877-916-0644, or you can look them up at digitallawmarketing.com. Again, that's digitallawmarketing.com.
2: And tell them we sent you.
0: And I wanted to... to talk to you a little bit more about how you developed your theme because the the theme really did allow you to go after all these defenses and sort of make them part of your case um you, you know uh, which you know sort of allowed you to to polarize the case in that you know if you if you don't believe their defenses then we've got to be right um but like so talk a little bit about how you came up with that theme but then i wanted to talk to you about some of the other uh, red herrings that they threw at you because they threw a lot at you during the uh, during the trial
1: yeah they did so, in, in looking at a, the case from the beginning, I was trying to understand why they would even defend this case. <laughs> and, and so, that was really my, my theme, was why. Uh, and, and as they kept adding on spurious defenses and other things, it added to my list of whys. So, I had a big, um, big blow-up that just said the word why with a question mark. That we showed at the beginning and and in and the closing, um, and and just one thing after another, the contradictions or the untruths piled up, and and so we had um, we had their uh, policies and procedures, and their their patient plan of safety said that this this policy is here to protect the patient's safety and to protect the financial resources yeah. of the hospital. And so that, that obviously opened the door for me to, to argue in closing that they, they blew the first part. You know, so now the reason why we're here, why again, why they're defending this is to protect the financial resources of the hospital. Yeah, yeah.
2: I really liked that whole theme because looking at your slides, it's like you could, any one of those, they were, they were like talking points for a jury, right? Any one of those questions, if the jurors brought up one of them, you know, they're, they're my favorite kind of questions because they're questions that kind of suggest the answer.
1: Right. <laughs> exactly. We call those leading questions.
2: Yeah, yeah
0: exactly. Exactly. Um yeah, Well, you know, one thing I noticed that you did, and I thought this was a really good technique, but with the, with the uh, medical records and, you know, it's not uncommon in, in a medical malpractice case where, uh, if the medical records don't show that some treatment was done, uh, then you, uh, inevitably, inevitably get uh, a doctor or a nurse said, I know the record doesn't say it was done, but trust me, we did it. We just don't, we don't, you know, we're busy saving lives. We don't have enough time to to chart all this stuff. Um, but you, you know, and then, and then, of course, you can always or usually get them to admit that, you know, if it, the old rule that, you know, if it's not charted, it wasn't done. But you went a step beyond that. And you had their own policy where they, you know, basically said that their medical records were accurate and complete. Right. And so you got to use that as part of your theme of like, well, these are accurate and complete and they don't say that it was done.
1: Right. Yeah. And obviously we had that big blow over that as well. Yeah. Um, and, you know. But the thing about that was, like, for instance, we were talking about the heart attack that she had. They were trying to blame part of this on that. And it was 15 days after she got there and the wounds were already there, et cetera. Uh, But they were saying they couldn't turn her because of her heart condition. But on the day she had the heart attack, they actually documented turning her every two hours (laughs) before and after the heart attack. So, and it wasn't really a heart attack. Her heart was stopping because of the pain she was in when they would try to move her. Right. Um, And they went and she had cardiac workup at at Athens Regional and and never found anything wrong with her uh, at that point. Um, But, yeah, I mean, uh, one lesson for those who don't do this as much or haven't done as many of these is if you're suing a hospital, get their policies and procedures and go over them uh, because you're going to find gold there. I mean, yeah. Uh, it, right. it, just, it gave us so much ammunition in this case.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: Well, and that's another one of the things that d- the defense can do that p- the plaintiff lawyers can't do is if, if we say something happened that's not in the records, you know, that's, that's it. We'll get absolutely roasted for that. Right. But it happens a lot on the defense side.
1: Yeah, the, you know, the whole not charted, not done response that, that we usually get just couldn't possibly fly in this case because the gaps were so big. Um, you know, going, okay, maybe you missed one shift or, you know, four hours where where she wasn't turned or wasn't documented. Uh, but to have 29 and a half hours the day after she got there. Right. Where there's Right. A, there there are things documented. It's just no turns documented. So right. So they were there and they were doing stuff, but they weren't turning her.
2: And did you get a sense of, like, what was really going on? I mean, was it just... Just not
1: doing it. This place. This was they said was the first time they'd ever been sued. I I found that shocking. Um, They're actually being sued right now for fudging their COVID statistics. I know because a friend of mine's handling that. But but, I mean, we had all all kinds of things. You know, we had a a picture of Elizabeth in her bed there uh, with their sisters visiting her. She's laying on her back, and above her head on the wall is "Do not." Place patient on her back. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and yeah. There, there was one other interesting and fun fact that I wanted to, to bring up. Um, I, th- I mentioned that uh, the nurse who did the initial assessment, by the time we got the trial five years later, was now the, the CEO of the hospital, which was interesting in and of itself. Um, and, and when we deposed her. Uh, and asked her why she didn't uh, document anything for wounds when she came in. She said something like, "Well, it was the end of my shift. In other words, I'm just right. hurrying to go this. Yeah. And then at trial, she denied that. And so we we you know blew up the um, the deposition transcript and uh, showed it to her, and she said, "Oh, well, I, I may have said that, but that's you know I, I didn't mean to imply that I wasn't being thorough, blah blah blah." Uh, and then she went on during the course of the cross to say, you know, this whole thing is because of lawyers. Lawyers. Oh, make- yeah. <laughs> I read that. Yeah. I was gonna ask you about that. Lawyers are making us over chart. And, and you know, and, you know, th- this is only because of you that we're here, it's not because we didn't do anything. And so, you know, we showed her the policy we were just talking about that says your records have to be accurate and complete. And she didn't really have any response to that. <laughs> But the best, the, the best thing from her was um, she was on duty uh, a few days later, once the wound after the wound had already developed, and she documented turning her left and right, left and right uh, during the course of her shift. And so we asked her about it. My, my associate Zach Green and did her cross examination. Um, he asked, asked her about that. You know, she said, oh, yeah, you bet. I I turned her and I I documented it. I covered my hiney. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I wrote that down. And, uh, right. <laughs> and so, you know, right after I was uh, talking about the financial stuff in closing that I, I mentioned a minute ago, I, I said, well, you know, really what they were trying to do, they were more interested in covering their hineys than taking care of Elizabeth's. Right. And <laughs> several of the jurors nodded. And so, yeah, you know, I, I felt pretty good at
0: that point. Yeah, yeah. I, I I want to mention a couple of other things here that I that I noticed. So, from the records, even though you had had these five people, uh, you know, basically went through you know how she was cared for, it sounded like their defense expert looked at the same records and said that she was turned more times than the
1: record said. Is that right? Cause yeah. It, it was, how did he do that? He just he glanced at it. <laughs> And this this was the first day when there was this 29 and a half hour gap or there was a 14 and a half hour gap and they turned her for four hours and then there was a 29 and a half hour gap. So the page he was looking at was a full day and there was only four turns on it, I think. He just glanced at it and, and said, yeah, it looks like they're turning her to me. <laughs> um, and so they asked our expert who got up on the stand and he gave him the same page the defense lawyer did on cross and, and said you know our expert looked at this and said there's plenty of turns here what do you, do you see something different and he said well let me look at it and he looked at it for a second he looks up and he says you're not gonna like my answer <laughs> and uh he said there's only there's there's three turns here in 24 hours
0: yeah when they're supposed to be doing it every two hours right um yeah, and and I thought another nice theme I should mention is that um, that you you even got their expert to to admit that that turning was like it was the crux of making sure that. Wounds don't develop into further stages, right and you know to, to back to Yvonne's point where you know somebody might not think, well, they're not turning her every two hours, that's not that big a deal well, that's pretty much everything i mean that's 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 how you keep these from happening, and it's got to be every two hours and um And I just thought that that theme was uh was nicely done as well
1: yeah, I mean our, our argument was if they were turning her, why did the thing turning is supposed to prevent happen right, right.
0: Yeah exactly. Um I I also wanted to mention the demonstratives and I know our listeners can't see them uh but is I I just thought that it was a real you know as we've we've talked about that you had this theme of why and then you would put up different things like for instance uh you know excellent care well you know if we have, if they have such excellent care why you know you mentioned the fact that she fell out of the bed you know that she um you know this pressure ulcer happens even though it, uh, you know um why was the pressure also inevitable if they have excellent care? but um what I should say, and what I wanted to point out of everybody is they were just very um, very simple slides with a, with you know basically one defense on the slide and then a number of reasons that would come in one after another, sort of asking why well, if this is true, well then why this why that? and it was just a nice way mm-hmm. of uh, of really tying your case together and and and, and uh, making your closing to the uh to the jury
1: yeah it makes it a lot easier not to have notes in your hand when you, when you do <laughs> right. things like that too
0: <laughs> yeah yeah exactly exactly <laughs> um but yeah I, I, you know it was just uh, you, you know sometimes the simplest is the best but it was just a nice nice concise way to, to go through the arguments and i thought it uh, i thought it looked really good
1: thanks yeah I, I have to give a little credit to uh rodney jew who is a trial consultant out in california right. i went to a uh a seminar a bunch of folks from atlanta went out to, to uh, do a two-day program with him a couple of years ago and I, I used a lot of his ideas in those yeah. in those uh
0: yeah his name has come up a number of times on this podcast and i know yeah. a lot of uh a lot of people have used him uh, uh with with great success he does great work yeah um you know we, we didn't talk uh, much about what your jury makeup was like and if you got a chance to talk to them afterwards and what they thought you know was really effective or or not so effective i mean either way
1: right so this uh this case was tried in gwinnett county georgia and um interestingly uh, just to digress a little bit you know I've, I've been doing this for almost 40 years when i first started i was a defense lawyer and I, I, Ashamed uh, to say, I did State Farm work uh, for a few years, and and Gwinnett County used to be the, the best defense venue in the state. Right, and I, I tried a case there a long long time ago where my client made a left turn in front of a motorcycle, motorcycle t boned him. The guy flew over the car, landed on his head, and died. And we got a defense verdict. Um, so that you know that was the kind of jurisdiction it used to be. In uh, the last years it's it's become a a totally different demographic and 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 political um, uh, venue and uh our our jury panel was incredibly diverse uh we had we had three people on the uh veneer that went all through general voir dire and then we got to individual questions and found out they didn't speak english so that was um but but ethnically and age-wise and and gender-wise, it was it was you know I don't remember the exact numbers, but you know two or three African American women, a couple of African American men, two Asian men, um, a few white women and a few white men, and, and a couple of Hispanics as well. Um, so it was it was very diverse. Uh, we did talk to them afterwards, um, despite all of the. Good stuff that we've been talking about the last hour there was one juror uh who still wanted to uh rule in their favor yeah and, and we found out kept us from getting the whole two million that we'd asked for right uh, they they were able to convince him to render a plaintiff's verdict but the cost of that was seven hundred thousand dollars so yeah right
2: yeah. right
0: no, I had that happen to me one time in a was, uh, in a neighboring county in Cobb County, which is uh, not not as good as Gwinnett, but uh, on a medical malpractice where I had uh, two elderly gentlemen on the jury, and I we hung, the the, the jury got hung after the trial, and um, I talked to some of the jurors, and they said, well, we were 10 to 2 in your favor, but the two were these two elderly gentlemen who were retired, and they said, we're retired, and we got nowhere to go. We're not changing our minds. <laughs> so, they, so they hung <laughs> I was like, "Oh, great!" Yeah.
2: <laughs> I know it's why you it's why you look forward to talking to the jury, but also why you don't look forward to talking well, to know, the jury.
1: I know I know a number of lawyers that will not talk to them because they, they just they, you hear you know they went off on something that wasn't even in evidence or whatever, yeah. and just what do you get from that other than a headache?
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we have we have some people at our firm really enjoy it. I don't I don't love it. I do, I do it, but I don't, I don't really like it. <laughs> it's too yeah. nerve wracking. Yeah.
0: Sometimes you hear stuff you don't want to hear, or or just like Richard said, you hear something like, well, why were you guys focusing on that? Nobody else. Was. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. That's the thing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, uh, Richard, I wanted to make sure, um uh, we've talked about a lot of issues in this case. Uh, is there anything that we haven't talked about that you wanted to make sure, um, that got covered, um, on how, how you, uh, address this case and how you uh, uh, how you turn it into a, a nice success for your for your client
1: Um, not not the trial itself I do want to give a shout out to Darren Somerville um, yeah. who tried it with us uh, and Zach Greenemeyer in my office who tried it with us and did a lot of the discovery work uh, they were Darren's invaluable I know he's been on your podcast before and I know yeah. other folks who've been on your podcast with big verdicts have, have come on and said Darren was with me and, and helped so yeah yeah uh, shout out to him. But, um, no, it was, it was an interesting case to try. Um, it was, it was fun to try because of the whack-a-mole stuff that we were doing. I felt like yeah. I was dancing the whole time, but, it, <laughs> uh, it but it, you know, turned out, turned out well for the, for our client.
0: Yeah. Well, it was just a fantastic job. And really, uh, I mean, you know, the one thing I couldn't help but notice, and, and, you know, I know that we've sort of said that it probably, uh, maybe hurt them more than helped them, but I mean, it, it you know, it really is difficult when you have the defense throwing out so many issues that you've just got to deal with. And it re- and it's because, uh, you know, the, you know, we have to have a unanimous jury to win. And, you know, so right. if they get one, uh, juror that's on their side, it, you know, just like in your case, even though they didn't win the case, they did keep the verdict down. So, right. um,
1: Well, they asked for for zero, so they didn't keep it down (laughs) that (laughs) logically. Right, right. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. exactly. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Well, and I do think it's interesting, too, because I think it's one of those things that works. You know, just trying to poke all these holes and bring all this stuff up works in discovery. And it can work for your motions for summary judgment and your Dahlbert motions. But then at trial, you just you can't have that many. You just can't have as many as they seem to have in this case, because then it just starts to, to backfire.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, th- that's exactly, you know, the, at least our feeling on it. We hope we hope the jury uh, sees it that way. Um, but they, they don't always. We, you know, one thing I did just make a note that I wanted to make sure I mentioned. So it, there there was a point in the care where the wound care nurse didn't see. The patient didn't see Ms. Dickinson for nine days. And I, I, I didn't hear, I mean, I know that that's a breach of the standard of care, but what was her explanation for why she didn't see her?
1: This is another thing that went in our favor. Their, their expert said when you have a policy that says at least weekly, the wound care nurse has to see the patient, that means in a seven-day period. They tried to argue that that meant if you saw somebody on Tuesday <laughs> one week, you could see them on Thursday the next week, uh, which is what happened in this case. And that that was not such a great issue in terms of the actual injury, but it was another brick in the wall in terms of how bad the care was. When right. their own experts said this was a standard of care violation and they had some bogus explanation for why it didn't happen. And, and the this all was around the time where she had the heart attack that I was talking about. And the time between she saw her on March 10th and it came in on March 19th, this thing had really exploded and merged into one big wound, you know, from both sides of her buttocks, it merged into the middle of her back. Um, during that time period, the bed was broken, the turn bed was broken. So that wasn't working either for two days. <clears throat> and one of their other defenses was when she, when she had this cardiac, Issue, they gave her a drug called levofid, which their experts says they you know in, in the in the hospitals they they call that leave them dead. Oh jeez. Uh, because it, it it brings all the blood from the extremities to the core to protect the core um, organs in in a you know dire situation, and so their argument was that you know the blood was being drawn away from her sacrum uh, because of the levofid and and. and uh, I asked their expert is is sacrum considered an extremity? And he said no, so you know that went out the window too. But you know the whole point with the wound care nurse was just all this was going on during that time, and it was a violation of their own protocol and a violation of the standard of care. And so right. that's another another brick in the wall, so to speak.
2: Yeah, I mean, if you've got one rule follower on that jury that hears that weekly means just any day during one week and then any day during the next week, right. that is not going to go well.
1: Right, and, and on top of that, they had mandatory weekly uh, uh, group meetings to discuss every patient, and the wound care nurse was there two days before, and they they discussed Elizabeth's case, but a she didn't say anything in that. At least there was nothing in the record about the wound. And B, she was there two days before and didn't go see her when she was there. So um, it, was, <laughs> it was an interesting uh, place. Yeah, the, yeah,
2: and the bed being broken, I missed that somehow. Yeah. That's
1: ridiculous. Yeah, it just you know, it's, it just broke down and it took them four or five days to get a new one.
0: Yeah, I mean, and if they're not turning regularly and that's what they're relying on, even though that's not adequate, I mean, it's not now she's you know getting uh, nothing at all. Um, yeah. So, it's really uh,
2: amazing that she was able to leave, like you know, recover. Yeah. Although you know, you she didn't really do it there, but it's pretty impressive. Because um, yeah. a lot of times you see medicine like that, and you don't. Yeah, you know, I didn't think yeah. she was going to survive.
1: The wound got infected on top of it, you know. So it was it was really horrific, and she did she did survive. Unfortunately, she just passed away about two weeks ago.
0: Miss Dickinson
1: did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm
0: sorry. Wow.
1: Um, so the you know the cardiac issue that she had finally caught up with her, and it's it's going to be a, a actually a, a test of our new COVID immunity rules because uh, she was she had they, her daughters had moved her down to Georgia to live with them, and uh, she was on home health care, and the home health care people didn't show up for like a week to bring her her meds, Um, so she you know, was on Lasix and some other things for her heart.
0: Oh my
1: God! And they didn't bring it, and she had a heart failure. Um, Oh my god. So
0: but they uh, didn't bring it because she had covid or because somebody who no. Well,
1: I I don't know why they didn't bring it, but they did <laughs> right. it. and it was, you know, it was in in June and July. Right, okay. Um, and so they're probably going to blame it on covid uh staffing or whatever and and so we'll see if if the new immunity rule that just got passed here will apply to that or not.
0: Wow. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. Um um yeah, that's a uh, yeah, uh, uh, you know, upsetting, but, um, it
1: was, but it was
0: very, it was very sad. But uh. yeah, well, I, I, I still want to say that I mean the case that uh, that that you tried for her was uh, uh, just a fantastic job, just a uh, fantastic result. And, I, and I'll just mention again that the case was Dickinson uh, versus Landmark Hospital of Athens, uh, tried in Gwinnett County in September of last year. It was a one million uh, three hundred thousand dollar verdict. Uh, and we have been talking to Richard Mitchell of uh, Mitchell and Shapiro uh, in Atlanta, Georgia. And you can look up Richard at Mitchell Shapiro dot com. Uh, Richard, thank you so much for your time. Thanks. Enjoy it. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, have you reached a verdict? Thank you for listening to the Great Trials Podcast. You can visit us online at greattrialspodcast.com. We realize in the show that sometimes we use terminology that not everybody would be familiar with, or that uh, we haven't uh, always explained every part of the jury trial process. So we've done two special shows, one on legal terminology, and Yvonne, that's going to be hopefully not that boring. Uh, we, we, we've uh, included a number of people in that so that uh, we can make that more entertaining, and a show on the jury trial process, and we've also put uh, links to uh, those episodes on our Great Trials podcast. Podcast.com as well as a uh, glossary of the legal terminology on the uh, website.
2: Yeah, so check those out. If you have a trial you would like to be featured on the Great Trials Podcast, or if you're a trial lawyer and you want to be on the show, or if you're just a person who has something that you want to say to us, please email us at info at GreatTrialsPodcast.com. Note if you have something mean to say, we don't have email. (laughs) Right, exactly.
0: (laughs) We only need uh, positive commentary. Yeah,
2: we're fragile. Um, You can also rate or review us uh, wherever you get your podcasts Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever. Again, if you have something mean to say,